Blog Talk Radio. And good evening. My name is Ryan Miner, and this is another episode of a minor detail. Thank you so much for joining us on this very cold February evening. Tonight will be a very special show. We have a jam-packed uh, episode, and we're going to try to squeeze it all in the hour. I have the pleasure of uh, the Talbot County Sheriff will be joining me, as well as a Eastern Shore uh, mom, uh, also from Talbot County. And we will have Delegate Brett Wilson, who yesterday was assigned to the Governor's Task Force to Combat Heroin. The first half of our show this evening will be dedicated exclusively to Maryland's heroin problem, and we'll talk about how Governor Hogan will be combating that problem. And moving into the latter half of the show, we will have Frank Howard, who is the chairman and president of Change Montgomery County. Tonight we had a very special dinner, uh, and we had uh, many of the the founders, the founding fathers, if you will, uh, over for dinner, and we had an opportunity to discuss an organization that we will get into uh, much more detail as the show progresses. Uh, but tonight I will be making a very special announcement at the conclusion of the show and just talk a little bit about the direction that we'll be moving into and how we're going to make this show uh, become something maybe just slightly more uh, than just a average talk show on a Wednesday night from a guy from little old Western Maryland. So um, I want to get right into the Maryland heroin issue. We're going to have our callers call in right around nine nine oh five this evening, and we're going to be bouncing some different ideas off. And I'm going to have uh, our our guest, um, who is a a mom from Talbot County, talk very in depth about her story th- uh, about how heroin has personally affected her. As you know, yesterday Governor Hogan introduced a a task force, and he outlined a plan to, to fight the rising overdoses on multiple fronts. Uh, he has tasked Lieutenant Governor Boyd Rutherford to lead the task force, and yesterday during a press conference, he introduced a four-pronged strategy and signed two executive orders to, uh, to begin immediately uh, combating the heroin problem that has been plaguing uh, our state. For some time now, if you have been paying close attention to this problem, and it all seemed to really creep up on us, uh, and it, it has affected us innumerably. We all know someone, maybe a family member, maybe a close friend uh, who is friends with somebody else that have been plagued or affected by uh, this terrible, terrible drug. Uh, you know, since 2011, uh, we have over 247 deaths can be directly attributed to heroin, and and in 2013, it spiked to 464. Friends, that is a monumental increase from just one year to two years. That means that over one person a day in the state of Maryland are dying from heroin overdose. We're talking about our kids, our families, people that we love. And the big question is how is heroin creeping itself into our communities, 
And I've heard from local law enforcement agencies and police officers that heroin has been creeping itself into our public schools. Kids, 17, 16, are skipping you know, the occasional drink with a friend. And that's not right. But this has become a massive problem. So I'm going to start patching in my callers. Good evening. Uh, I'm going to patch you in. How are you this evening? I'm fine, Ryan. Brett Wilson here. Hey, Delegate Wilson. Uh, great to have you on the show. I certainly appreciate you coming on. We're going to, as all the other folks call in, uh, we're going to we're going to go right into this. But, uh, Delegate, yesterday you were appointed by Governor Hogan to uh, to the task force, and with your experience as an, an assistant state prosecutor, can you talk a little about, bit about what you hope to accomplish on the task force? Well, sure, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Uh, what I hope to accomplish, and quite frankly what the whole task force hopes to accomplish, is figuring out, the best ways forward to address the situation with the heroin. And as the lieutenant governor said, the whole pipeline, not just the pipeline of drugs coming in, but the pipeline of people getting addicted to it. So that we're not just focusing on the end point, which is the overdosing, uh, sometimes fatal, but on the the causes that lead people to get involved in the drugs in the first place. Uh, And and I think think we really have a chance to do that. Right now we have so many good programs called state, we also have so many things that are perhaps not effective. We need to sift through all of that, find out what is going to actually work. And the lieutenant governor and the governor said, apply a holistic approach, keep everything on the table, and, and make sure we're not trapped by you know, one particular method of dealing with this, this tragic issue. Delegate Wilson, we have two other uh, folks joining us. We have the sheriff from Talbot County, and we have... Uh, Andrea Walters from the the vice principal at Easton Area High School. Good evening to both of you. On the line, we have Delegate Brett Wilson. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay. Andrea, you and I, uh, we first met uh, in St. Michael's, and we had a discussion uh, while we were having dinner at Carpenter Street. And, by the way, a, a great place, and I encourage any of my friends who are listening to take a take a trip down to Talbot County to St. Michael's and have dinner or lunch at some one of the best places on the Eastern Shore. You talked to me about something that was very personal and about how heroin has personally affected your life. Can you talk about your story and really go in depth about what it's like, uh, how this this problem has plagued you. I'm not really sure where the best way or how to begin, except to start with um, my son, who is 23 years old, is a um, addict and will be for life. He started out with alcohol at the age of um, between 10 and 13 is the ages that we've um, or I have understood. And then from alcohol, he went on to marijuana because um, alcohol wasn't doing enough for him by the age of 13. By the age of 14, he was investing into other um, ways to get a high or to cover any problems that he felt in his life. And um, as of July 15th, he was booked in Easton for violating probation and he was in jail, and I was called to jail, and he was um, basically detoxing. And at that point was the first time that he came to grips 
in telling me exactly what he had been addicted to. And the addiction included um, that he's been doing heroin for three and a half years, that he had been doing cocaine for about five years. He has been, or he had been, um, huffing. He also had been um, snorting phetamine. He also had been doing acid um, as well as well, LSD. Uh, anything he could get his hands on to make his life seem perfect from his perspective is what I have learned. And the gist of what I would say, as hard it is, as hard as it is as a parent, I am um, trained to understand what drugs do to a young body um, due to the business of education that I'm in and in today's world. And I thought I would be able to pick it out notice it, understand it, uh, and I, I didn't. I was either um, didn't want to know, I made up excuses for myself to understand it, I pushed the negative part away of understanding and coming to grips that my son was an addict um, beyond alcohol and marijuana, and that it was going to be a huge difference in my life the day that I came to grips with it. I well, have cried every day since July 15th that, by coming to grips with it. I can't even imagine what it's like to 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 endure what you have gone through. And Sheriff Gamble from Talbot County, can you talk about what you, in, as a law enforcement officer and as the top law enforcement official in Talbot County, how does this problem reflect a greater problem in the state of Maryland? Um, well, I'm not sure if you knew, but I, I just recently retired from Maryland State Police after 27 years um, and, and was elected to this position and just took office a few months ago. And and the reason that I really took office was what a lot of what Andrea had to say is that the the drug problem, and this this is an epidemic, and and I've spoken to I, I think the first the, the my first initiatives here have been to um, correcting some issues in our the way we do drug enforcement, but as well as educating. I've probably spoken to about a thousand parents at this point. I've, I've I left two meetings today that where I, I was invited to speak where I'm edu- trying to educate the parents on what to look for and, and the process that Andrea talk, just talked about how her son got involved in this. I mean, kids just don't start doing heroin. It starts with alcohol, goes to marijuana. And a lot of times I think as parents, we think, and I have four children of my own, that we think, oh, okay, well, you know, we drank and some of us may or may not have used marijuana 30 years ago. But this is a much different, you know, these drugs weren't available to us 20 and 30 years ago. And, you know, it goes from the marijuana, typically to prescription pills, to the heroin. So, uh, and as you say, as you're well aware, this is a, this is an East Coast, uh, a national problem and, and predominantly on the East Coast. So we have to look at, out of our traditional ways of policing um, to tackle this problem. Our typical heroin dealer that we're finding in Talbot County, Maryland, is typically a heroin-addicted person who's going across the Bay Bridge and and uh, bringing back heroin from the metro areas 
to the county to support their habit and to support the habits of those that they're dealing to. Um, so we're trying to tailor our law enforcement response to try to tackle that to lessen the impact. But make no mistake, law enforcement is not going to solve this issue. We have to fix and, and be we have to fix our what I call we're one spoke in the wheel. Education's another spoke in the wheel. Parents are a huge spoke in the wheel. Um, laws, policies are all different spokes in the wheel. And I think that right now in Maryland, all of our spokes need to be fixed because our spokes, in order to turn this wheel, to turn this back, all of our spokes have broken and all of us have to look at our own agencies and and the, the, the areas that we have influence on. It says, how can I influence? How can I make changes? How can I, I do better by the citizenry? That's why I work so excited that Governor Hogan and the initiatives he's taken we're looking forward to hearing more about them and how we can partner, you know, right. at the local level. Um, well, Sheriff, but- we have we have with us uh, Delegate Brett Wilson, who is an assistant state's prosecutor uh, in Washington County. And I was reading an article uh, from the Star Democrat, and uh, you had a quote that said, "We need a partner." And I'm I'm assuming that. Part of the partnership will be the task force that uh, the governor has put together. And I was wondering, Delegate Wilson, will you be partnering with many of the county sheriffs to combat this problem? Yeah, and, and thank you for asking, Ryan, because one thing I think is important for people to know is the structure that the task force already has and, and the, I guess, the process that is already laid out for us to go through. Just to let everyone know, uh, what they plan to do, what the lieutenant governor plans to do in very short order is st- start setting up regional meetings with all of the stakeholders. And I mean, regional meetings across the entire state. The first one is to be set within the next three weeks in Cecil County. And then we'll start setting up in other areas of the state in short order after that. And the purpose is to gather facts from all the people. It'll be sheriffs, It'll be other law enforcement. It'll be the treatment centers that are there, local health departments. It'll be the parents of addicted children. It'll be school officials. It'll take in all of the ideas from all the people in that region, find out what their issue is, what, like the sheriff said, you know, he's, he's how he has seen addictions began in other, sec- in other parts of the state. The addictions may be coming from a different sector or a different cause. So we want to find out all the different causes across the state what's being tried, what's effective, and what's not effective. And by the end of that study period, sit down and put together a very detailed report on the findings, and then before the end of the year, actually go through the process of of figuring out what has been working, what hasn't been tried, and what do we need to move beyond, and and actually get to a point where we're not just trying, uh, you know, one example is methadone. Methadone is certainly going to help some people, but it's not going to help all people. One size mm-hmm. is never going to fit all of the addicts we have, so we need to look and find out what everyone is doing and figure out what's going to be best across the state. And, and that, So, yes, we will be partnering with the sheriff and everyone else we can find who's willing to put the time in. Andrea, we have uh, I've learned a lot about heroin uh, by researching it, and uh, can I was wondering if you could enlighten uh, the audience and wh- how how did your son first uh, co- uh, gain access to this and why do you think that it has become much more prevalent um, a- around the state of Maryland especially on the eastern shore okay um, 
say that my son had access to it because of the job in which he was working. He was um, predominantly in the restaurant business, and that is considered fast money, per se, if you're gaining tips, either being a barback, a waiter, a busboy, or whatever he may have been um, in his in his earlier on years of um, addiction that allowed him to have quick money, not for saying it's my money. Um, however, through um, understanding what he's been through and him going through his recovery um, currently, um, he did end up stealing from me to provide into more of the habit um, that he needed. And once he had access and it was hidden from me, because I would always wonder why he would act out in a certain way, um, why he would do certain things, and I would think, that's not my child, but okay. And I would check his arms because that was what I understood or what I knew as to where heroin would be done. You would, you know, shoot it up for your arm. However, what I have learned is that my son was shooting between his toes, and I never, ever took off his socks to see that. He is also shot in his lower back. Um, and he has done some damage to his lower back now that that's been medically talked to me about through his process of recovery um, that I have sent him into. Uh, why do I think it's gotten here to the Eastern Shore? The same thing that um, Mr. Gamble has been saying, and that, you know, that it's coming over the bridge in all ways, shapes, and forms. Um, I don't think it comes in the same form. Uh, that people believe that they know what heroin looks like. I think it comes over in different forms so you can't see it. I think it's concealed by people that you don't realize or expect um, that would have it. I don't think that um, it comes the same route every day. Um, my son has contacts from, you know, just we're on the eastern shore, so I'll speak to the eastern shore part of it, you know, from Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. So well, I, um, the access is there. So, you know, it's, that's what I can speak to. I can only speak to the Eastern Shore side of it. To to anyone who is just tuning in, we are live on a minor detail. We're talking about Maryland's heroin problem. And if you would like to call into the show, the phone number is 646 uh, Sheriff, uh, my, have you witnessed uh, this problem growing into our high schools, and what what is the youngest age that you have seen uh, this problem affect? Well, there's a, a study done every few years, and Andrea um, uh, Walters can speak uh, more to how often they do the study in Maryland, that it, it talks about, um, it asks our school-age children um, in our high school ages, you know, a bunch of questions, and some of those questions deal with substance abuse. And uh, what we're seeing is that we're seeing, you know, our, our county of Talbot ranks uh, in that fifth or sixth county in the state right now for reported heroin usage among high school, um, high school-aged people in our county. Um, they're talking about 8.5%, between 6 and 8.5% of those students. Well, we have a relatively small county, 38,000 people, but we have about, and Andrea, correct me if I'm wrong, about 2,000 people in high school between our between the private and the public school. So if you take that 8 or eight or 9% between that, that 200, you're talking about 160, 180 kids in our county who have reported trying heroin in high school. Now, I've met with... Um, 
I meet weekly with a different recovering heroin addict, have lunch or coffee with them because I want to understand it more fully. And most of these people in, in their early 20s, born and raised here, um, you know, they started experimenting with, just like Andrea said, with the alcohol and marijuana at very early ages, you know, 12, 13 years old. One young lady who recently um, died of an overdose in our county, our last fatal overdose, um, was uh, in the, the prescription pills that she was stealing from uh, family members at 14 and 15 and doing heroin, heroin before she left high school. That's that's typically what I've seen in my few short months um, here as sheriff. Statewide, I think it's the same. Um, I don't think there's any – I don't think we have the corner on the market here. We certainly don't. Um, but uh, we're seeing that the, that the earlier – the studies are showing that the earlier experimenting with alcohol and then going to marijuana um, – the earlier, the, the higher percentage of chances that they're going to get into the prescription pills or the harder drugs and then graduate to heroin. Um, that's why this whole marijuana issue in Maryland is just baffles me. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, the, it, it it baffles me as well. I was reading a report by the Maryland Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, and from June of 2013 to 14, uh, I, I broke it down by uh, the heroin deaths, and Anne Arundel County had 67 deaths attributed to heroin. Baltimore County had 240, 200, or I'm sorry, Baltimore City had 248. Baltimore County 119. Carroll County 23. Cecil County 23. Montgomery County 44. PG County 41. Hartford County 32. And up where Delegate Wilson and I are from in Washington County. Uh, 23. Delegate Wilson, uh, how has heroin permeated itself as a drug in the western half of the state, especially from Carroll upwards to, uh, let's say, Garrett County? Sure. And then there are a couple different ways that's really come in. Uh, if you remember, I was when I first joined the uh, state attorney's office, I was a member of the Narcotics Task Force and ended up supervising that operation for about four years back in the mid-2000s. And what we saw initially is that we were a cocaine town, uh, and then a couple things changed. One, the availability of your oxycodone, your Percocet, that really increased. We also at the same time had uh, some clinics opening up that you know, treated people with methadone. We then had uh, the federal government trying to shut down a lot of the uh, oxy and Percocet uh, dealing pharmacies and, and doctors. So all of a sudden we had your methadone uh, clinics on one side with people who are being treated for heroin addiction. We also had the, the in quick succession the disappearance of the prescriptions that a lot of people were had been reliant on. And so heroin was very easy, easily moved into the industry. Uh, it became cheaper than the Percocets and the other prescription drugs. We had young people who were using the prescription drugs because, quite frankly, it was much easier for someone to get them hooked on them because, well, this is a legal drug, maybe not legal for me to have, but it's something that is sold by doctors, so it must be okay. Well, guess what? Once you're on one opiate, if that supply dries up, then you're going to look for the next opiate, and that leads you straight to heroin every day. And it became so easy to get that it, it had a cross 
it attracted a cross population, both the young people who were getting into it, like the sheriff and Aaron says, but then also an older population who were reliant on the Percocets for the pain management and all of a sudden couldn't get those either. So uh, it, it, I guess a combination of some, to some extent, our own ability to shut down the really, really, um, I guess, what would you say, that the, the unfortunate over-prescription of certain drugs and right. then also the ease with it to come out and, and the cost. The cost went down. When the cost went down, it was just cheaper to get that than it was to try and find a medicine. And this question is uh, for all three of my guests. Uh, for uh, What is – Andrea, you have been obviously through the Maryland's court system and Delegate Wilson and Sheriff – uh, you you understand the the punitive effects of what court systems impose. What what is the the punitive action taken by the court system? Is is uh, possession of a controlled substance uh, or uh, a drug like heroin? Is that a a misdemeanor? Is that a felony? How is that interpreted in our court system? So any of you can answer this. Sure. Well, let me take the first step, and I'll turn it to the sheriff and Sir Aaron also. But the Possession of any drug is a misdemeanor unless it's in sufficient quantity to show an intent to distribute or actual distribution. Now, the difference between your marijuana and your not marijuana is that the harder drugs, so to speak, carry a minimum or carry a maximum of four years uh, maximum of, of incarceration, where marijuana would only carry one year. So it, it's all misdemeanor stuff. The, the real issue is how do you deal with that? Because it doesn't mean you're going to jail. Uh, we have a very, very good system out in our uh, county called the JSAP program, where if it's, if it's a true addiction that can't be taken care of on the outside, uh, there's no support system, then certainly we can put someone into our local detention center and, and force them to go through a drug treatment program. Even if that doesn't take, at least it starts the, the process and gets them dry in the meantime. So, uh, Punitive, punitive reaction should be targeted, in my opinion at least, at the people who are in it for the business. They're doing it for money. When you have the people who are doing it because they're hooked on it, let's try and get them off the, uh, the addiction and, and get them back to being successful, you know, uh, uh, positive influences in this community. Uh, a- Andrea, do you want to comment? I absolutely agree with that concept. concept. Um, I, my son was never caught. Uh, with heroin, he was only caught with marijuana and drinking underage. So I wouldn't be able to say how the court would have handled him with um, any quantity or what he would have had at any given time. Um, you know, I, the court down here in Talbot, we have a you know a program where if students or if children are are caught, um, it's almost like their first time they go through a teen court program. And I don't think that's consistent for everybody. Joe would be able to speak better to that. I just can speak at the high school level. And then their their peers are then deciding what comes out of it. Now, of course, that's usually just drinking underage. But as I, my experience is that it started with drinking. And my son went through the teen court process, and he got um, a couple hours, or uh, I think it was 50 hours of, of community service. And um, he did those and got over it, but then he was still continuing his addiction or diving further into his addiction is what I should say. Um, uh, but 
we never had anything beyond being caught with marijuana. That's when he was on probation, violated probation, put in jail in July, and then it goes from there. Sheriff, when I was in Washington County Public Schools, we we often had uh, someone called a DARE officer, DARE standing for Drug Abuse Resistance Education. Is that program still implemented at the elementary and I, I'm assuming middle school levels and, and inside of our public school system? Yes, and I can't speak to every jurisdiction. Uh, we have a DARE officer who does our fifth grade, and then he also is doing eighth grade. Now, there's a new D.A.R.E. program that's come out that we're looking at that, that gets into the high school um, age groups where I really believe that we need uh, – I believe that in that fifth grade it's important, and I just went to a D.A.R.E. graduation this morning at one of our local uh, elementary schools, um, which was great. But there needs to be continued education through it. And speaking back to – um, and I think we need to explore that and see, uh, you know, what our options are for education. Partner with our uh, the part, with our, our our school system to see how we can better serve there. But I think one of the key things that Andrea brought up is that her son was caught with alcohol once and with marijuana once. And we also have to look at that early intervention when we do catch our kids with that are drinking or using marijuana. What are we doing? Um, are we evaluating them? Are they being evaluated for substance abuse, uh, addiction issues? Are they receiving any treatment or is it just, okay, you got caught, you do 50 hours community service. Do they have to go through some type of treatment program, um, ordered by team court or some of these alternative ways of dealing with the, with juveniles? I think that's, I think where some of the kids are slipping, slipping through the cracks and that if we can, that early intervention and all the studies have shown and everything I've read has shown that where we can do early intervention with, with those kids in the alcohol and the marijuana use, um, that, that that's where we can start turning some kids around. Now, it won't turn everyone around, but I think there's some kids slipping through the cracks there, and I think it's these regional meetings and how we can, how, how we can do better in, in yes. those areas because it, it does make a big difference. Absolutely, Sheriff. And yesterday during the governor Governor Hogan's press conference, he made a very emotional appeal to the state of Maryland, to the task force, and uh, I watched uh, a clip of the news conference, and uh, you, Delegate Wilson, you you were there. Uh, you could tell that it was extraordinarily palpable, the emotion uh, that Governor Hogan was displaying, because he talked about a personal story of his uh, first cousin who uh, had overdosed on heroin and subsequently passed away because of that overdose. And what I learned yesterday from uh, the, the press conference is that there was a donation of 5,000 doses of uh, – Delegate Wilson, you might want to help me out. It's EVZIO. Am I saying that correctly? EVZIO. Okay. Um, and then there was a $500,000 grant to the governor's office of crime control and prevention to increase the treatment pro progress in the state's jails and prisons. Uh, and uh, Del uh, I'm sorry, Chris Shank, who was former Senator Shank in Washington County, is now uh, leading that executive agency. Um, Delegate Wilson, what 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 exactly is what what is the 5,000 doses? I'm unaware of what that is. This is it's the next step in. Uh, immediate overdose intervention. Uh, we've all heard of Narcan, which is a more invasive uh, overdose stopper, and, and basically that re would require injection. 
this is this is similar uh but easier to administer doesn't require the same amount of training and what it does is within just a couple of minutes it it halts the physical uh symptoms of the overdose so as as a person is going under deeper and deeper if they can get this medicine in, in very short order within a couple of minutes they'll start coming out of the overdose it stops the reaction they can regain breath regain consciousness and it, it will save their lives and it's something that emergency responders or teachers or whoever we put it in the hands of will be able to administer uh my uh, in another uh, interesting factoid that i learned yesterday is that uh, back on February 12th, I read an article uh, that said that Maryland has joined, is it a multi-state task force to combat this? Mm-hmm. And our Attorney General, Brian Frosch, uh, he's going to join his counterparts in the Northeast to share information and jointly prosecute the drug traffickers. So uh, my question to the sheriff and uh, to Delegate Wilson and Andrea, please feel free to uh, inject your input in here. How, as a multi-state, because Maryland is surrounded by several other states, uh, we're going to have to really look at this as uh, not just a a Maryland strategy, but a northern strategy that extends well beyond the boundaries of Maryland. How is our? How do you believe that our attorney general will work with um, the other AGs and law enforcement uh, agencies outside of the state of Maryland? Okay. Sheriff, go ahead. Um, well, I, I, this this is the this, this is policing in, in our century. We have to, and I say policing, I, I, prosecution, the police, um, the federal, our federal partners, our state partners. Um, we have to join forces, and and we have to, I believe, do a better job of coordinating um, th- these traffickers. I mean, this this there are profiteers. Like um, a state's attorney, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Wil- uh, Delegate Wilson um, alluded to. There are traffickers that are making for- uh, a fortune o- on the sorrow and the, and the death and destruction of this of this drug, and we have to identify them. And we're, we've uh, the DEA has done a good job in their heroin task force initiative that uh, we report back to DEA, we report certain information when we make arrests, it goes into a database that we all have access to that we can look at phone numbers and and different contacts and, and different sources. Um, so, you know, the, this, those pieces are coming together. Um, we need our law enforcement partners at the, at the local, state, and federal level, including the Attorney General, to... Um, continue to foster those relationships and continue to foster strategies that will, that will help at the local, at the local level. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, in, in Washington County or Talbot County or Lycomico County, um, we need to help on the enforcement side of it. We need to help local prosecutors. I mean, a lot of our, uh, and Mr. Wilson with us, a lot of our prosecutors offices are woefully understaffed. A lot of our, Police departments are woefully understaffed, and um, you know it's all a part of of that law enforcement picture. But again, law enforcement's not going to solve this, this this problem by the, by ourselves, um, and that's why we need to partner with our health departments. My department is getting trained in the administration of, of Narcan, Naxalone, the similar thing, the inhibitor 
um, that Mr. Wilson was talking about that, um, you know, that's going to help save lives. But when we're administering that on the side of the road, like one of my deputies just uh, a few nights ago ran into a, a, a person that had overdosed, uh, luckily survived, um, we've already missed the boat if, if it's gotten to that that far. You know what I mean? Right. So we really have to work on the prevention, the early intervention. We have to work on all of it, but that is so important. And I think it's probably been overlooked a little bit, um, especially by law enforcement. So, you know, we, we really want to partner in those areas. Uh, as we move into the final thoughts, I, I want to begin with you, Andrea. I, I cannot thank you enough for joining me on this show to tell uh, an, an audience that a very, very deeply personal story. And I, I want you, and we'll, we'll move in progression, we'll start with you uh, offering a final thought. You know, if, if there was a if there was a young person my uh, my age or young, I'm 29, and uh, if, if somebody the age of your son were sitting directly in front of you uh, who's been experimenting with heroin, uh, can you speak directly to that person? I guess the words I would tell them is to ask for help. As hard as that is, it's just to ask. And it can it doesn't have to be verbal. It can be body language. It can be... You know, show them where you're shooting something so that the person that you're next to or in front of is aware so that they can get you to help because you're not capable of doing it yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, Delegate Wilson. Yeah, and I think uh, the important thing is remember it took a lot of years to get into this, uh, the, the, the situation we are now. It's going to take some time for us to find the best path out. I was reading some reports today that uh, some people were critical of the governor uh, because they didn't think it was enough soon enough. And and all I can say is we have limited resources, but we have a lot of ambition on this issue. And we really need to have everyone speak up to us, meaning the task force and the governor's office, to let us know the real issues that are going on out there, help us to identify what is working and what is not. So when we come out of this, this task force process, we will have a very clear objective and set of ideas that are going to help us target the problem and resolve it. And the sheriff's absolutely right. It's got to start with prevention. We do everything we can uh, for those who are trapped in the addiction right now, but we've got to focus on stopping the addiction from starting. So, I, I, And then Ryan, one thing I really do appreciate, uh, you having an entire program dedicated to this. Public announcements and public education is the first step towards getting to where we want to be. Absolutely, and that's that's the whole point and I hope that uh as we as as you delegate uh Wilson move forward in the task force and your findings, I hope you will come back on the show sometime um to talk about this because this is not going to be a a one episode thing. This is going to be an in progress type of movement in the state of Maryland because we are all banding together to solve this problem because Delegate Wilson, you have uh, you have children in public schools. Uh, you know, we have Kim and I have two kids in public schools, and uh, you know, Sheriff, I don't I don't uh, I don't know if you have any children or not, but um, I know that <laughs> this is this is a problem that we are all facing, not just in, as individuals, but as Marylanders. Sheriff, final word. Um. I do. I have four children that graduated from Talbot County Public Schools, and and Andrea um, taught 
or at least was the principal for all of those four children. So I have the utmost respect for her and, and the fact that as a mother um, that she's come forward and shared her story. I know how difficult it, it must be, but I, I want to say something, uh, comment on something that Delegate Wilson said about the governor. Um, the governor has brought this, and I applaud um, Delegate Wilson for, for, for taking on this uh this job and this task, but the governor has brought this front and center to Marylanders. And part of our biggest issue is getting this message out to parents, is getting this message out to parents and grandparents about the prescription pills and about not having access to the prescription pills. And, and, and the fact that the governor has declared a state of emergency has set up these things is, light years from where we were just a few months ago. Um, so I applaud him. I applaud the efforts. I know there's not enough money to conquer this problem overnight, but there are enough committed law enforcement officers, prosecutors, teachers, um, nurses, health department workers that, that have seen the pain and the agony that this has caused families. And, and money's not going to solve money and, and resources won't always solve these problems, but the ambition of the people of the state of Maryland, getting the message out to our loved ones and working hard on this issue is going to make great inroads. So I applaud him and I applaud the, the effort that uh, the governor's making and Delegate Wilson are making in this because it, it will save lives. Absolutely. And look, listen, from, from the very bottom and depths of, of my heart and soul, I cannot thank you enough, each of you for coming on. And the success of this movement, if tomorrow, if this show reaches one person, one family member, one pastor, one person, one, one teacher, it doesn't matter anybody. And if we can save just one life, then we are doing something good and effective. And that is what this movement is all about. And that is what this governor is trying to do, is lead to solve a crisis and rein in a very serious problem. So thank you to each of you who have joined my program this evening, and I, I sincerely appreciate your time and commitment to this process, and I know that we're going to be fighting this battle together. So thank you all so much, and I certainly hope you come back again. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you, Ron. Yep, thank you, you all. So that was extraordinarily powerful. We have a monumental degree of experience fighting this, the sheriff from Talbot County, Delegate Brent Wilson, who I must say I am so thankful that he is on this task force. I am very thankful that the city of Hagerstown entrusted Delegate Wilson in this past election and elected him to the Maryland House of Delegates. He is an exceptional person, an honorable man, and someone that I greatly, greatly respect uh, moving forward um, and, of course, Andrea Walters, who is the vice principal at Easton Area High School, who dealt with this problem, who is living this experience. And every other parent who is out there tonight that may be listening or who will listen later in this podcast who can relate to Andrea's story, that is the movement that we need to Build That is the movement of parents, of teachers, of leaders in our community, of pastors, of friends and neighbors all around the state to say not one more life 
will be lost to this drug, to this problem. We have too much at stake to allow our kids, to allow our kids to be succumb to this maddening drug. And I cannot thank the governor enough for tackling this problem. And one of these days, as we, we really take off this show, I'm going to try to get uh, Governor Hogan on here. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, he's a busy guy right now, but this this problem cannot let go. It, it just – we cannot let this go one more day. And that is why the governor has really come out strong in his first couple of months as the governor. I mean literally almost in his first month and a few days as the new governor of Maryland – He's tackling this, and I just want to say this this transcends any partisanship. This is a Maryland problem. This is not a Democrat, Republican, or Green Party. This is a Maryland problem. This is a mom and dad problem. This is a student problem, a teacher problem. This is our problem, and as Marylanders together, we're going to solve it because we are steadfast, and we have unlimited amounts of courage, courage. And this is going to take a massive movement of people to, again, say, not one more life. So with that, I'm going to wrap up that segment of the show. And I'm very pleased to have with me uh, live uh, tonight. It's it's not a, quite a studio, but a kitchen table. Uh, we are, we're going to be moving on to talk about Change Montgomery County and... With me, I have the president of Change Montgomery County, Frank Howard, who, Frank, um, as you know, ran for uh, the Maryland Senate and the, in 2014. Frank, I want to welcome you to the show, and thank you so much for joining us at for dinner. Thanks, Ryan. It was a, a delightful dinner. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here, and I'm looking forward to the uh, the rest of the show. Yeah, so, Frank, you ran for the, the state senate in Montgomery County from where you're from. What what district did you run in? I ran in District 14, which is the northernmost strip of the county going all the way down to uh, Burtonsville, Silver Spring area. Okay, and, um, you know, I, I, I know that uh, you didn't get the results that you wanted to get, but nonetheless, uh, you have really taken uh, uh, something on as a new challenge in 2015, and that's why we're, you're here tonight. So you have developed alongside uh, a couple of other great guys uh, and ladies um, an organization by the name of Change Montgomery County. And this organization is rooted in a few core philosophies. So tonight, Frank, I want you to take it away and talk about the organization, uh, the mission statement, and what you have in mind for how this will affect public policy in the state of Maryland. Okay, sure, Ryan. Let's make this a nice two-way conversational back and forth for the remaining time we have. I'd like to start off a little formal by just reading our mission statement as our board of directors and I have developed it along with our uh, chief operating officer. We build movements for change by encouraging and supporting local leaders committed to improving the quality of life for everyone in Montgomery County. And after what we just heard in the the first uh, three quarters of this program, I think that's a great lead-in to talking about what the board of directors, the founder uh, of Change Montgomery County have in mind for this organization. And I think one of the ways that we could best describe it is by 
transitioning to some of the things that people ask uh, me and our board uh, when they hear more and more about Change Montgomery County. They ask, is it in any way, shape, or form affiliated with Change Maryland? And the answer is no, it's not. Uh, are you guys uh, uh, and women a think tank? We are certainly uh, a think tank, and we're going to be developing programs, and we're getting into that in just a few minutes with you. Uh, we are going to be putting out position papers. We're talking footnoted original content, uh, but that's not all we are. Are you guys uh, doing good out there in the community, or are you just pontificating? We are definitely going to be doing a lot of good for real people in the community, actually going out and affecting lives. For example, our four categories that we focus on or areas in the community are jobs, transportation, education, and community. And what a segue into community with the program that we've just heard here on a minor detail regarding the heroin problem. Yeah, that's that was a that was that that sort of was indicative of what we're trying to do is inspire movements and go inside of the community. Change Montgomery County uh, will be part of the community and be a an issues based organization, from my understanding, and. We, as the organization moves forward under your leadership, uh, we hope to truly change how uh, not only how voters vote at the ballot box by supporting candidates that share our common values and common uh, core uh, beliefs that, that, that we hold so dearly, but we're really going to try to build a, a segment that I'll talk about just briefly um, a, a media segment and a uh, a wing of the the organization that will broadcast serious issues almost daily. Um, that's that's what we're hoping. It's the infancy stages of Change Montgomery County. How did this come about? Well, it came about through the founders' vision that there are many people in Montgomery County. There's over a million people living in Montgomery County. That's one-sixth of the population of the state of Maryland. It's a very, very diverse community, as you and I have discussed, Ryan. And our founder decided that there, there just was a, a need there. There's no organization out there, at least not that we're aware of, and we've looked pretty closely, that can bring together what we are attempting to bring together that you have done a good job of describing. Sometimes people ask, well, are you, uh, are you uh, a political organization? Well, we are and we're not. We're a nonprofit, nonpartisan, 501c4 organization. So we can uh, advocate certain policies, and we will take. But you can't. You can't endorse candidates. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That is absolutely correct. Good straight man. And that leads <laughs> to um, uh, some other uh, questions from people saying, "Well, uh, if you develop leaders." Might these leaders run for public office at some point? And we say with a gleam in our eye, we certainly hope so. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the point is that we affect public policy through our almighty republic by electing people who share common values. But I, I want the audience who are listening to know this is not what you would think a standard republican organization. No, no, no. This is a organization – that is rooted in values, not partisanship. Uh, there may be Republicans and Democrats and independents and people of the Green Party, but more so we're going to try as an organization to truly affect public policy in these communities 
and really get involved with our education system, with our roads and infrastructure, with jobs and bringing jobs back to Montgomery County and rooting ourselves in the daily grind of what's happening at the family circuit. And that's how I perceive this organization. Am I on par? You are uh, absolutely on par. Uh, I'll say it again. You're a good straight man, uh, <laughs> Ryan. That is a very good summary of where we're taking the organization. We're especially excited at the civic engagement tools that we are developing. We're developing leaning edge. We've, we've got software developers uh, one of whom uh, was a black hat uh, winner. That, that's that software <laughs> development competition. Very talented people developing civic engagement tools that we're going to be rolling out to help people have a voice and have a say in their local government, the decisions that are made. And I think it's a very exciting thing that we're bringing it all together under one banner, Change Montgomery County. And that uh, leads me back to our content providers. We're, we're going to have, we're, we're recruiting them now, writers, uh, radio uh, uh, personalities, on-air personalities, mm -hmm. real content, not just people talking, but like tonight our, our listeners heard, real content on important topics to the community. And downstream, we actually would like to think that we're going to actually have a cable TV show at some point when we have enough content. Well, that sounds fantastic. Frank, What? how can people get involved with Change Montgomery County? Where can they find Change Montgomery County on the web and what can people do to begin being involved with the organization? Good question. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners would would uh, would like to know uh, a little bit more about the organization and how they can get involved. Our website is www.changemoco.org.org. We are on Facebook, easily found. Go to Facebook and search for Change Montgomery County, and we're on Twitter as well. And the way they can get involved is to read as much as they can online, uh, and then if they feel that they need more information or they'd like to get involved, send us an email, give us a call. The contact information is on the website and on the Facebook page. Uh, we're very responsive. We're developing a staff and a board of directors. We're committed to being the type of responsive organization that gets things done, and that includes engaging people who want to volunteer and get involved. If people like the mission statement and like what Change Maryland stands for, can they donate money? Oh, that's funny you should mention that too. Yes, Change Montgomery County is uh, currently raising money. We have lofty goals uh, regarding the amount of money that we would like to have in our annual operating budget. And we are working now to raise money uh, with uh, various uh, well-connected donors uh, in Montgomery County, around the state, and in fact outside the state. But also there is a donate button right on our website, and we encourage people that want to get involved, please, uh, if you have the capability, do so. Absolutely. So that brings me to uh, what we're going to talk about. And Frank, stay with us. Um, so I talked about in the intro to the show that I would be making a big announcement, and this will be my very last show under the guise of a minor detail based upon me as a person, Ryan Miner's own network. So I was I um, an opportunity did present itself, uh, and I, I I cannot even begin to tell you how extraordinarily humbled I am to have an opportunity to move uh, to over to Change Montgomery County as a radio talent and a, as a communicator of their principles and ideas. So. Beginning uh, March 1st, uh, I'm going to be 
shifting uh, into a new direction, into a new platform, and to a new life experience in my career, I will be working exclusively with Change Montgomery County, and my radio show will stay the same, stay on the same time slot, but it will be brought to you by Change Montgomery County, in which we will focus on Montgomery County issues and issues around the state of Maryland, because that is the mission. Uh, That is how we will uh, begin to uh, really uh, ingratiate ourselves within our community and this is a, a new idea, this is a startup idea, and this is an idea that has an incredible amount of promise and action. And there are, there are many, many people uh, that I haven't mentioned tonight, um, and we will at a later date, but who are actively working every single day that is making Change Montgomery County a full-time job, as, as I will be, and we are going to bring you serious content about issues. We're going to make friends. We're going to talk about uh, issues that are affecting directly Montgomery County at the local, state, and federal levels. Uh, And we're going to talk about transportation issues and issues like education, which is near and dear to my heart, is how to fundamentally improve the education systems and expand upon the notion of that education is not simply limited by a zip code. And we're going to expound upon our philosophies of building better and stronger transportation in Montgomery County. And we're going to really get to the roots of jobs, jobs, and more jobs. That is what matters. And I have to tell you, this new endeavor is so exciting. It's going to be exciting to work with a highly skilled and highly intelligent team. Um, I am honored and humbled to be working with the caliber of a person like Frank Howard, uh, who is um, a close and dear friend and will really be a a powerful mentor in my life um, who will take the reins of this. And you're going to see some great things from Change Montgomery County. It's a new day in Maryland, and it's going to be a a ride that you, if you're listening – Get on board quick because this train, I hate to use these idioms, but this train is leaving and it's going to be moving quickly and we are seriously going to affect Montgomery County in a positive way. Frank, I want to thank you for joining us for dinner and stopping by and uh, for taking the efforts and leading this. So um, as my closeout to to this evening, um it's been a great ride so far, and it moved rather quickly. I just started my own radio program in January, and I, I really had no idea how much it skyrocketed, how much people actually paid attention, because my goal was to have a few close listeners and have some discussions and show up to various places. But it it has just spiraled uh, upwards and has taken a positive effect, and uh, the most important aspect is to keep the tone focused on issues and about responsible and pragmatic public policy that's going to affect Maryland for the long term. This is not a short-term uh, prerogative or proposition. We are in this for the long haul to change our state into a state that is equitable, that has jobs, that has great education, and our roads and bridges and infrastructure are in place, and we have an emphasis on our community the people that make Maryland as great as it is. My name is Ryan Miner. Look for us next week on Change Montgomery County's network. Thank you, and have a wonderful night.